The Conformance Cast is an educational series format podcast providing information on international standards, quality systems, conformity assessment, and measurement training. For more information on the topics covered here, visit a2lawpt.org for blog posts, free recorded webinars, and our entire catalog of instructor-led and e-learning courses. Welcome back to The Conformance Cast, a podcast by HOLA Workplace Training. I'm your host, Evan Hodges, and I'm back again with Rob Kanaki from HOLA, who's talking with us about the top 10 deficiencies cited for ISO IEC 17025, colon, 2017. That's a really long series of numbers and letters, but that's how these standards people do. Welcome back, Rob. Thank you again for being here. Let's just jump right in, I guess. Uh, All right, I'm ready if you are. <laughs> let's do it. Uh, last time we talked about the ninth and 10th most cited deficiencies, which were method validation and internal auditing. Uh, we're going to start with number eight this time, which is reporting requirements, 7.8. This is not an especially long section, but it has kind of asterisks associated with it, basically. Uh, there's a lot of conditions that sort of affect how the results are reported and when it's appropriate to put X, Y, or Z on a report. Do you want to like go into that a little bit more, Rob? Yeah, definitely. So this is most often the deliverable that our customers give their customers, right? This is the test report. This is the calibration certificate. It's the data, right? It's what the customer pays them for. So this is all about how you're presenting that data to the customer. And because 17025 is a general standard, they had to put in requirements that had flexibility, if that makes sense. So there, there are a lot of uh, what we kind of call weasel words where, you know, they'll say something, OK, you need to have this information unless the laboratory has a valid reason for not doing so. Right? So you need to include this on a report unless you have a valid reason that you don't put it on there. And our approach to that is basically the the laboratory, if they have a reason why they omitted it from a report, we generally would, would accept that as a valid reason. Uh, sometimes the customer contract, sometimes the method stipulates uh, the information that must be on the report or regulator or specify has requirements. So those are some examples of valid reasons for not including some of this data. Uh, the thing to keep in mind is, though, if you don't include this information on the report, it still has to end up in a record in your system. So even though you're not going to present that to the customer, you have to have a record of it. You have to have it documented and retained uh, in your system. So it's just the standards generic. So they had to give some flexibility while still ensuring that when you're presenting this information to your customer, it's done in a way that's not ambiguous and the data is interpreted correctly because this this is the product. This is what, um, at the end of the day, your customer gets. Since this one is so general, can you give us an example of an instance where something would normally go on a report, but under these specific circumstances, it shouldn't? So sometimes there'll be something like if uh, in my world for, for calibration, uh, sometimes a manufacturer will... Uh, you know, manufacture a piece of equipment, uh, they calibrate it, and then they inventory it. And they may not know the customer 
at the time that they generate the certificate. So the customer's name, the end customer's name might not end up on the certificate because they don't really know who the customer is or they might sell through a distributor. And so that that's an example of a requirement, which is basically the customer's information to be included on the report that might not apply because really at the time, the manufacturing calibration, the customer is unknown. So that's that's an example. But there are, are many different requirements through that section of the standard, and there are a lot of valid reasons for emitting uh, certain things. But if if you start talking about emitting data or, you know, in the calibration world, again, measurement uncertainty, uh, you know, I don't think there's really valid reasons for yeah, just handing somebody a piece of paper that says it's all good and trust me, <laughs> everything's <And> so, fine. <laughs> everything's fine, right? Thumbs up. So just say um, piece of piece of paper with two thumbs up emojis will not suffice. <laughs> yeah, well, may not right now. I mean, maybe in the future when we just digressed into like social media emojis for everything in our communications, <laughs> perhaps at that point. Do, do I sound like an old man, like an angry old man? <laughs> oh, no, no. I uh, I love sort of internet linguistics, so I'm a-okay with the emojis, but uh, also speaking as, I guess I'm not that old, but speaking as someone with old man energy, I also don't know what most of the emojis mean. Uh, there's a lot of like double meanings to the emojis, so we can't, we cannot do that. We cannot start emojis on data reporting everyone everyone will freak out you've heard it here first no emojis yeah that's a that's a rule now no emojis on data reports that's right Um, all right uh let's move on to number seven on the list that is clause 7.7 uh internal and external quality checks the the section's titled ensuring the validity of results what the heck does that mean? How do you make sure results are valid? What does the word valid mean? Please, <laughs> please explain, Rob. Sure. Yeah. So uh, the old standard, the 2005 version, had lumped everything that we do internally to ensure the validity of our results and externally. Uh, so things like proficiency testing or interlaboratory comparisons are a means of val- uh, ensuring the validity of our results by external methods. And internally, it could be something like QC checks and round robins, um, intermediate checks, and then doing some uh, 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 control charts and things of that nature. So what does it really mean to ensure the validity of our results? Well, again, it's it's all about data integrity with the standard and competency. So we have to make sure that when we're, we're sending that calibrated item out the door or we're issuing that test report uh, for the well, you know, the fat content in our food or what it happens to be, that those results are are valid, uh, that our equipment is functioning properly, that our staff is trained, we have the right environment, um, we use the right methods, things of that nature. So this section of the standard has to do with all of those means by which we ensure our results are actually valid and how we you know monitor our equipment's performance, how we monitor our staff's ongoing competency as well as their initial competency, and those are things like proficiency testing. You know, how do we compare uh, amongst our peers? Are their laboratories performing the same type of testing or calibration? And, you know, what can we do internally? We, we use our check standards to make sure, you know, when we, before we run that batch of tests or before we uh, start calibrating for the day, that our equipment's still functioning the way we would expect it to. So in, in that, we're, there's a lot of ways that you can use this data 
to get maximum value out of it. And there's whole courses, A2LA, WPT offers on that type of thing uh, to detect trends and see if, you know, we have equipment that's drifting and we can catch that drift before something goes out of tolerance and we have bad results going out the door. So this section of standard is, is really critical uh, to the ongoing quality and integrity of our data. I noticed that there are several instances of phrases like where appropriate and where available in this section, uh, specifically like as it refers to uh, proficiency testing and uh, interlaboratory comparison. Uh, how do you know? How do you know if you have to do something or you don't? Is that going to be an ex a completely subjective situation based on individual labs or is there some kind of general across the board rule that you can apply? Uh, unfortunately, it is really industry dependent. It is laboratory dependent. If you are what I'll call a, you know, a normal testing laboratory that runs quote unquote routine samples for like food testing or some environmental testing in an area that's really regulated, there's usually a lot of commercial PT available. And you probably can find a number of providers, a number of different schemes, and you're, you're already participating in a lot of PT. You might be doing a couple events per year in the same area or the same matrix and analytes. Uh, in my world, in the calibration world, there isn't a whole lot of commercially available PT. Uh, there are good reasons for that. And part of it is, is with calibration, many times you have to ship around artifacts. So you literally have to ship it from one laboratory to another laboratory or sometimes from the PT provider to the laboratory, back to the PT provider to the next laboratory. So it, it can be challenging for a, an organization to um, uh, run PT schemes. And then, of course, if you're a laboratory doing very unique or cutting edge type testing or calibration, well, there probably aren't very many other laboratories out there that you can compare against. So, yeah, those are the type of things that we take into consideration when judging relevancy and availability. All right. Let's then talk about number six on the list, and that is technical records. It's actually uh, 7.5, clause 7.5, which is uh, very nearby to this 7.7. Uh, this section is about traceability and reproducibility, and that, I'm assuming, involves a ton of documentation. <laughs> yeah, so this is, you know, kind of the catch-all record requirement for, for any of our technical records. So we're talking about training, anything related to equipment maintenance, calibration, um, you know, any of the type of checks that we're doing, um, method validation, verification. So any section of the standard that requires you maintain, generate and maintain a record to show or to have evidence that you performed a function, that you met a requirement in the technical area, fall into this bucket, right? So this is a lot about documentation of records and uh, maintaining them and having them available. So again, it's a kind of a dot your I, cross your T type of requirement. And this is why it, it ends up where it is on the list, I think. Yeah, like we have repeatedly pointed out so many other clauses rely on documentation and this is, you know, exactly how you have to do that and how it has to be maintained and how you have to retain it. So do you find that it's actually a benefit to the laboratories to retain this kind of detailed 
record, like more so than just for meeting the requirements of the standard? Do you, do you find that there's a material benefit to the laboratories besides just being able to show it to the assessor and say, hey, we did the thing, check the box, please? Yeah, I really do think it benefits the laboratories beyond the scope of just having your assessment by A2LA. So the, the standard was, the, the ISO 17025 standard, or ISO IEC 17025 standard, better use a full correct name or I'll get in trouble by the ISO police. Yeah, they're going to call us. They're going to say, yeah. hey, we heard Rob Kanacki on your podcast <laughs> using the wrong acronym. Yeah, I could hear the sirens already outside my house. Um so anyway, yeah, they um, the standard was meant to just have general competency for a laboratory. It actually isn't, you know, it wasn't developed to be an accreditation or audit or assessment type standard. So it, all of the requirements you find in there really are for the benefit of the laboratory. And I think, Evan, you said uh, maybe one of our earlier recordings that if you don't have a record of it, then it didn't happen. Right. So these are, this is your proof, this is your evidence that you did something, you've trained your staff, you've had that calibration, you're doing your checks. So if, if data go, if something goes wrong, you know, heaven forbid something goes wrong or when something goes wrong, you have the evidence to support you did all the right things. And let's think about, you know, if you send something out for calibration, it comes back, you find it out of tolerance. Well, if you didn't record that you evaluated that out of tolerance condition and then that you took some actions, how do you ever prove that when your data was good or when it was bad and, and a customer comes to you and if you're in a regulatory environment and you don't have records to show you did all the things you're supposed to do, you're going to be in big trouble. I mean, to the point of no longer being in business or ending up in court. So, yes, I, I there are a lot of good reasons to document, record and retain these types of records. And that's um mainly what the requirements of the standard were set up around. Printouts or it didn't happen. Actually, that's, that's right. not true. You don't physically need a printout. You can do these electronically now. Yeah. Oh, brave and, new worlds. <laughs> yeah. And that's a good thing to point out too, is now a lot of this documentation and recording is done electronically in like a LIMS system or laboratory information management system. Whereas before you had all these paper records and files and file rooms, and that's still a way you can meet this requirement. But now it, it, with the electronic systems, it generally makes this a bit easier for you to maintain and, and to record. Yeah, we recently did a blog post on uh, switching to a digital QMS. There's a lot of a lot of good pro tips in there. We talked to Qualtrics about it. So yeah, the 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 revolution is happening. The digital revolution is here. With that, I think we're going to close out this episode. Thank you so much for all your expertise, Rob. You're welcome. With the next episode will be in the bottom half of the list now. That was uh, 10 through 6. Uh, we're going to hit number 5 next. Please subscribe to the Conformance Cast by A2LA Workplace Training. It's a great way to get updated when the, the next episode is out. Uh, like, like I explained, this is a, a series podcast, so the next several episodes will be on the same topic. We will be back next time with Rob again, and we hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to The Conformance Cast by A2LA Workplace Training. A2LA Workplace Training provides high-quality training and consulting services for laboratories of all kinds throughout the world. Find us online at a2lawpt.org or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook by searching for A2LA Workplace Training. <laughs>